Okay, hello, welcome to uh, the third episode of our podcast. Um, and today I'll be talking with Chris Stewart. How are you doing today, Chris? Good, how are you? Good, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. Um, so do you mind just introducing yourself to the to everybody really quickly? Sure. Uh, my name is Chris Stewart. Um, I just recently finished up my master's at Eastern Michigan University in literature studies and a graduate certificate in teaching of writing. Yeah, and, and you know, I can totally tell that you, you still haven't turned off your your teaching mode because before we started this podcast, you basically sat me down and said, this is everything you're doing wrong. <laughs> well, I wouldn't necessarily say everything you're doing wrong. <laughs> Constructive criticism. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. Okay, so um, do you mind telling us, so where, where did you go start off in college? Because you, you went to, you, you finished your master's. Um, where did you do your undergraduate at? So um, I'm originally from New Jersey, and New Jersey has a scholarship program um, called New Jersey Stars. So I graduated from high school um, in, a, in uh, the top 5% of my class. So I actually got a scholarship to uh, a community college. So I started at Ocean County Community College um, as a liberal arts major. Um, after my two years there, I went to Montclair State University. Um, as part of the same scholarship program, uh, which is in northern New Jersey. Um, and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, so I decided I was good at writing papers, and I liked books, so I became a literature major. Um, the way that they do things there, it's English, so I was able to study creative writing, literature, um, as well as film studies. So once I finished, uh, once I got through that program, um, I had no idea what to do. <laughs> and yeah, that's exactly where I am right now. So, um, and so you, you finished and you had no idea what to do. Um, and, and you know, what's interesting to me actually is, um, I, what was it like when you first actually picked those majors? Because, um, I know at least here in Michigan and actually probably pretty much nationwide, like there is kind of a stigma against picking your major. Or majors yeah. that aren't dealing with hard math, science, engineering type. Right, absolutely. So um, I had a Latin teacher um, in high school that always said that the liberal arts was where everybody should start. Um, so he firmly believed that you should be a well-rounded generalist when it came to education. So what I ended up doing was... Um, uh, the community college that I went to had two different liberal arts programs. One of them is liberal arts one, which was a real survey of every single field of thought. Uh, liberal arts two, um, was guiding more towards the sciences. Um, so you could take extra classes in sciences and math. And, um, I think they eventually turned over to more of a STEM program. Um, but in mine, um, I was able to take anthropology, sociology, psychology, philosophy, uh, literature, creative writing, physics, um, different history classes, health. Um, so I took a little bit of everything. And I remember when I originally signed up for it, my parents were a little bit confused. Mm -hmm. They didn't, they didn't really see the value in it. They, um, they thought education was great, but what do you do with a liberal arts major? Mm -hmm. um, but I reassured him that it was um, it was just my associate's degree and that I was going to go on for a bachelor's and I would figure things out then. Um, my last semester of the community college, I took my first creative writing class and that kind of solidified um, the English studies. Um, I realized that I really enjoyed writing. I really enjoyed uh, learning about writing. And I always had this dream since I was younger to be an author. Mm -hmm. And I figured the best thing to do would be to become an English major. Um, but I quickly realized after my first semester that I really wasn't sure what I could do with my English major. Um, I had this dream of going on to law school. That dream died after my first year because uh, I started talking to lawyers and I figured that's absolutely not what I wanted to do. Um, even though many of the lawyers that I was talking to started in English studies. So it just, it, it felt very natural to jump into that. Um, but besides that, I just, I thought it was interesting. 
Um, I felt like I could learn more about culture, society, and history through literature. Um, so it just seemed like a natural choice. I really was not thinking about an occupation mm-hmm. uh, when I chose my major. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, even uh, I'm working with students now, and uh, we always are telling students like, oh, you have to think so far ahead. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think when you when you encourage that, it kind of naturally probably would deter people from choosing a major like you did. Um, but obviously, you ended up okay. And we all know people like you, but we all kind of just ignore that story, or we don't really talk about that story mm-hmm. because I think it's harder to to explain to kids if you know what I mean. Absolutely, and I, I remember I vividly remember um, senior year of high school. We went to the career center. And we had to take this arbitrary quiz where it was essentially a personality test. And then based on your score, it told you what jobs you should apply to. Mm-hmm. Um, and in big, bold letters, even more bold than the actual uh, job, was how much money you can make. Right, right. And I was really discouraged when I saw this because Taxi Driver came up for me. <laughs> um, and I don't know why. Um, but then I saw that they can make $60,000. I don't even know if that's true. But yeah. um, I was just like, oh, man, why go to school? I could just be a taxi driver. And then I really realized how arbitrary that was. But I remember um, most of the options that were on there were science and math focused. And that was absolutely not what I wanted, what I enjoyed, or even what I was good at. Um, so I was discouraged really early um, about thinking about an occupation. Um, I, I kind of liked teaching, uh, though I never taught. I liked tutoring, though I never really formally tutored. Um, and I, but I really liked to write. So I always had that, um, the humanities in mind. Um, but I really stopped thinking about a career... Um, when I started talking to people that were in different careers that I was somewhat interested in. Um, so I was really confused. Mm -hmm. So I I feel like talking to, um, young students about their future, um, shouldn't be as scary and specific as it always comes off. I think it should be broad and, uh, based in reflection. I mean, your first two years, you're taking general ed classes anyway, Mm -hmm. and it should be a lot about self-reflection and figuring out, you know, what you like, where you see yourself going with that type of study. Um, I don't think it should be, you know, in kindergarten, you want to be a lawyer and you need to be on that track for the rest of your life. Right. Um, yeah, that's funny that you, I took a test like that in high school also. And I remember it just being terrible questions. It was just <laughs> right, like, right. Um, I think it was like, well, do you like waiting dishes? And <laughs> I was like, oh, I wonder what it's going to suggest for me at the end. Yeah. And it sounds like to me for your one, it was like, oh, you don't like math or science. Well, you, I guess all that's left for you losers are taxi drivers. There's nothing, yeah. no hope for you. I remember <laughs> one of them did say astronaut. And I was just like, wow, <laughs> really? Um, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Those, those, quest, uh, those questions... Um, some of them are personality-based, like, do you like talking to people? Which is valuable when you're trying to figure out what job you want. Um, but others, where it's like, do you like to drive? Well, obviously, if I say yes, um, that's going to be a point towards anything where you're going to be driving, commuting, delivering, mm-hmm. you know, something along those lines. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think those questions are, um, especially later in life, they seem really funny. Mm-hmm. Um but I was really nervous about taking that test when when it was presented to me because I thought whatever it said, that's what I had to do the rest of my life. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, yeah I guess I just kind of knew it was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, and so, and so uh, can we, let's go back to those first few months after you graduate yeah. um, and just total, uh, I have no idea where I'm going. So can you just take us into your mindset and Absolutely. what was going on? So I did not, uh, meet with any advisors or career counselors, um, all four years of college. Um, I felt that it was a waste of time. Um, I didn't see the value in it. I talked to many people and said that it was worthless. So don't bother. So I didn't. Um, I think that is very bad advice. Um, I think you should absolutely talk with as many faculty as possible, as many advisors as possible. Um, so you don't leave college completely clueless. I mean, we all leave a little clueless. Um, but to leave 
really baffled by what the world is outside of education. Um, I mean, we go through these very strict schedules for most of our lives. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we graduate and you're like, wait, I don't have a schedule. Nobody's telling me where I have to be at a certain time. Um, I think that is really scary uh, when you graduate. So I graduated and I said, I am going to graduate and I'm going to take the entire summer off and not even work. That doesn't really work. Mm -hmm. Um, So I ended up working two days a week at a restaurant. Uh, I worked double. So I ended up working uh, 24 hours a week and I just sat on the beach and I surfed and I relaxed for an entire summer. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I started panicking in August when all my friends were deciding to go back to school or they were starting their jobs. So um, I started going on monster.com career builder. Um, I didn't know what I was looking for. So I just kind of clicked on anything that remotely sounded interesting or something that seemed like it paid a lot. Um, most of the jobs I applied for, and I probably applied for at least 100, 150 jobs. Um, I would say that most of the jobs I applied for, I didn't even get a response. Not even an automated response, um, which was really discouraging. Uh, however, I did get several interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, but almost every one of those had to do with the humanities. Mm-hmm. And I was really excited about some of these jobs. Uh, one of the jobs was a marketing department uh, to be a project manager in New York City. Um, the fact that I was even considered for it, I, I was blown away. Um, some of them were coding positions because I could type really fast. Um, when you're an English major, you type a lot of papers. I mean, you learn how to type quickly. Um, so I had that going for me. Um, several, uh, several positions were leadership type positions. Mm -hmm. Um, So supervisor, um, uh, project manager, or manager of some sort, um, because English majors are really good at the qualities that they look for in a supervisor. Um, However, I didn't get any of those jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, I was offered one of them, but it was, it required me to move into New York City. I didn't have the money for it. Um, Quite frankly, living in New York City scared the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to commute into the city. Um, so I, I, I felt like come September, October, I was in an absolute panic. I felt like I was a failure because I couldn't find a job. I didn't want to work at McDonald's because um, I didn't want to earn minimum wage. Uh, however, I started applying to minimum wage jobs and I still was not getting hired. Um, and then finally, my brother was working at a uh, at an office, and they had a warehouse. And he said, "Look, you need a job. It's almost October. Um, I'll see if I could get you a warehouse position. It starts at minimum wage, but we could carpool. You know, we'll we'll, we'll see what happens." Um, I found out three days later that they wanted me to start the next day, and that was my first job, a warehouse position packing boxes in a warehouse um, for minimum wage. Yeah, it, I think there's a lot to unpack here. I think, mm-hmm. um, first off, just like, uh, just the idea of finishing college and just not having anything promised for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and just this uh, moments of panic, or not moments, it was like four or five months for you, right? Right. And, um uh, and of not of applying to hundreds of jobs and just not getting anything, and so I, I I wonder if I almost feel like that's just like a natural thing to to go through. Um, do you what do you feel like that did for you? Um, just as a person, just going through all of that. So it, I want to say that it made me stronger, mm-hmm. but in that moment, it did not make me stronger at all. Mm-hmm. It um, I really started questioning higher education, mm-hmm. um, the value of it. Um, and, and, you know, thinking back on it, um, you know, this, this is quite a few years ago and it was all my fault. Um, I should have looked for an advisor. I should have asked for help. I should have been asking these questions and doing many different things my junior, senior year of college. Um, but I thought it was like the movies where you graduate and you have a job lined up. Or you apply and you go on all these different interviews, everybody loves you, and then you have to pick. Um, but that's not what reality is at all. And it 
it really made me feel, um, I, I think worthless would be too strong, but I definitely felt that my degree was, um, was not what I thought it was and that I was not as, um, good as I thought I was. Um, but I mean, there's so many different emotions. Uh, when I got my first call for an interview, I, I thought I was the man and that, <laughs> that everything was going to work out. And then, I mean, that's just not reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, so I didn't, I, I think, uh, I didn't meet with advisors much my first two, two years. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was kind of like you, I was just going through the motions and it just, it just seemed like it was a waste of time. Um, I guess, um, with, with the talking with advisors and professors, it's kind of like this testament to how, um, despite the fact that we have so much access, um, through our computers, through our phones, uh, there's, uh, it's just stuff that through human interaction and communication that, uh, that I just can't replace. I think that's absolutely true. And the, the, I mean, my students that I deal with, um, they're terrified even to send an email sometimes um, because that's more personal than uh, sending something like an inquiry on a website. Um, ask a student to come to my office hours and forget it. I mean, it usually doesn't happen unless there's like a panic moment. Um, but it, it's absolutely true that establishing these relationships, um, maybe even friendships with you know, faculty with advisors, um, career counselors. Um, I, I mean, that's something that you can't just go onto monster.com and it'll give you all the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you want a job in a specific field to physically talk to somebody in that field is invaluable and mm-hmm. you won't get that kind of advice online. Mm-hmm. Um, so that human interaction I think is so important and I just, you know, as a 21 year old graduate, I did not think that was valuable at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I quickly learned that because I didn't establish those connections, um, once I graduated, I, I mean, I had no connection. Mm-hmm. And even if I tried reaching back to some of those professors, because I never really talked to them except for inside the classroom, they didn't remember who I was. Mm-hmm. So how are they going to help me? If they didn't even remember me. Mm-hmm. So um, that human connection is, is huge when it comes to uh, college. Um, and and the, co- the thing about it is uh, you kind of reap some of the rewards of that um, from talking to those law school students. Uh, yes. And, and when you learn about, oh, I guess I don't want to be a lawyer. Um, and so we're speaking kind of like generically about the benefits of talking with, with faculty or just people in different professions. What, what are some, uh, real, like, benefits or things that you've, like, uh, experienced after changing all that? So, um, I, I mean, as far as my personal experience, I could definitely talk more about once I was in grad school, mm-hmm. um, because I didn't want to make the same mistake twice. Mm-hmm. So, um, fast forward four years, because I took four years off in between, um, getting my bachelor's and starting my master's, um, I was in a very different mindset because I struggled to get a job. I struggled to keep my job, um, and I still wasn't making enough money to pay off my student debt. So I always had this dream of going back to grad school to be a professor or a scholar of some kind. So um, I would not compromise my future again by not talking. So day one, before I even submitted my application, I was in contact with the graduate coordinator at Eastern Michigan. Um, I started talking to my advisor before the class classes even started. Um, all throughout uh, the three years of, of grad school, I was talking with every professor I had, um, even professors I didn't have. I was networking throughout the entire uh, English department. Um, I was talking to graduates. I was talking to scholars. I was talking to researchers. I talked to everybody mm-hmm. because I did not want to graduate without a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, they put me in contact with people at other schools that I was interested in going for my PhD. Um, they put me in contact with um, career counselors. They put me in contact with people in jobs that I found were interesting. Um, 
I mean, the connections that I made, the networking that I made through human contact is not something you can get from Facebook, LinkedIn, or anything like that. Um, having that conversation, being able to ask a question, get a real response, and then ask a follow-up question without waiting two weeks in between with emails, um, I think is invaluable. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I never would have ended up at Clemson uh, for this August if I didn't make connections. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have even known where to look for grad school um, if it weren't for connections. So I, I think the human connection and asking what's on your mind, not just asking what you think you need to ask, but if you're scared, ask what you can do so you're not scared anymore. Um, if you have a question, even if you think that it's something so simple that you can find on a website, still ask that, that question because you're going to get a more valuable response than you ever would um, from a website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's um, I think that's just great advice for anybody like college or a job, wherever you are, that thing that's like amazing advice. Yeah. And it's actually uh, kind of funny that you're telling me all this because that's just not who you are now. That person <laughs> you said that didn't really talk to people, I guess, right. because you're so like now, um, I don't know, everybody knows you have like a real reputation as a huge talker now. Absolutely. And, um, <laughs> and like even, even your girlfriend before I came in, she, she told me to bring my phone to keep track of time because, yes. <laughs> <laughs> because you were going to go on forever. So yeah, I think, uh, even if for, for those of you listening and you feel like it's, uh, maybe not like in your personality, I think you're like great proof of you can change that. So. Absolutely. And you can only make the change if you want to make that change. I made a very um, strong decision that I was going to change. I was going to change the way that I thought, the way that um, I, I presented myself. Um, I, I mean, I was always kind of a talker, but I never really talked to authority. You know, it, it, I felt like I was wasting their time. That's why I, I never really approach professors. Like, they're not going to be interested in what I have to say. Mm-hmm. So why should I waste their time? Uh, now, I don't care. I'll waste <laughs> as much time as I can as long as I'm making that connection or getting an answer to, to what I need. And sometimes you have to ask the question more than once. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many times where I needed an answer to something and I would stalk their office or I would, you know, send them multiple emails throughout the week because I really needed that answer. And that persistence really paid off. But you don't want to cross that line where you become annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really good to know your audience. Um, so if you know this specific professor is really busy, I mean, asking them every couple hours for something is probably not going to help. Mm-hmm. But asking them every couple of days, following up, um, and that that's good advice for, you know, even when you're applying for a job, if you don't hear something back within a week, um, there's no reason why you can't email the person that you submitted the application to, mm-hmm. to see where you stand in, in uh, the running for the position. Um, but yeah, I mean, you really do need to make a, a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, if what you're doing right now is not working, um, change it and, and see if you have more success another way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely great advice. Um, I was, I would like to go back for a little bit to that four year period, mm-hmm. um, from, I guess, 21 to 25. Yeah. Um, and so you talked a little bit how you're working in this warehouse and you kind of hit this point of like, uh, I guess low self esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, so did that persist through the entire four years and, did you, how did you deal with that? How did you break free of that um, cage that you kind of mentally put yourself in? So, um, when I, I would say that the first um, six months that I was working there, um, I've always been a hard worker. I've been, I've been working since I was 12. Um, so I knew my work ethic would, would shine once I was out of place. The problem was it didn't seem like there was any way to move up from where I was. But I was still going to try. Um, so I, even though I was kind of in this self-hating period where I felt I was a failure, I, I didn't want to fail. So I really tried. Um, even though I hated my job and I, um, I didn't necessarily like everybody that I was working with, um, but I still tried. I went every day and I worked as hard as I could. Um, but what really changed, um, I was there for maybe four or five months 
and I was in the break room and they, they had a very small break room for, for this company. Um, and everybody, um, anybody could be in there. So anybody from the lowest employee to the CEO. So there was one day that I was in there and I was reading a book, which was rare for, uh, for this company. Uh, most people went in and watched YouTube videos. Uh, but I had a book and, um, uh, so one of the vice presidents of the company came up to me and asked what I was reading. And I started talking to him about this book and just like most books, I was really excited and, and I, and I really started explaining different things that were going on in the book. And he took a step back and said, did you go to college? And I said, well, yeah, I have a bachelor's degree from Montclair state, um, in literature. And he said, well, what the hell are you doing in the warehouse? I said, well, I couldn't find a job. And he said, how much are you making? So I told him I was making minimum wage. And he said that was absolutely unacceptable. So after talking with him for a couple, I would say maybe a couple more weeks, um, he approached me and said that they were going to create a quality control department. And he was asking if I was interested. And he said, you know, you're not going anywhere in the warehouse. They're not going to make you a supervisor, um, let alone a manager. Um, would you be willing to work in our office? I said, hell yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, what, what do you need from me? And he said, I need your transcripts and I need your diploma. That's all I need. I said, okay. So I gave him the transcripts. Turns out he didn't need my transcripts. He was just curious what I took. Mm -hmm. He loved the fact that I was a liberal arts major. Um, the technically the position required a degree in quality control or business management or engineering, or there was all these other um, requirements. Uh, I didn't have any of them, but through the conversations that I had with him talking about what I learned in school um, really came off as, as something that he valued. So um, I think I was, I was there just about a year when I switched over to quality control. And once I got that position, I felt like I succeeded. You know, it wasn't a huge step. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I still was not making very good money, but it was still a step in the right direction. I felt like I, I was promoted. And when you hear, you know, somebody say, oh, well, I was promoted. If they say it in kind of like an offhand way, like, oh, yeah, they promoted me. Um, most of the time, they're jumping for joy on the inside. Mm -hmm. Um I could not contain that excitement. I was so excited. I told everybody, everybody that I was finally promoted, not making minimum wage anymore. Um, and that's when my confidence came back. And that's when I decided I'm going to pay off more of my student loans and then go back to grad school. Even though I didn't really know what that meant and how to go about it, I was determined to do that. Um, so I think it was that turning point when I finally felt a little bit of success um, that I really started gaining my confidence back, but that was a full year after I graduated. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, actually it was, it was more than a year cause I was at the company for a year. Um, so it was almost a year and a half after I graduated when I finally felt, um, worth mm -hmm. in my degree, worth in my education. Um, and in a, a year and a half is a very long time to mm -hmm. feel that way. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but it sounds like, you know, there's a few things that happened here. Like, number one, uh, just the importance of celebrating even, like, these small, like, quote-unquote, yeah. small victories. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so you're not, like, the top at Microsoft or you're not making, <laughs> like, 50000 60000 a year. Um, it's still something that, like, um, really all of us, it's just like not being too hard on yourself and being, Absolutely. being proud of this, every, the, the small things. Especially nowadays, being happy that you have a job. Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, there were people that I was talking to that I graduated with that didn't, um, get past minimum wage for almost two, two and a half years after graduating college. Um, and Montclair State is not, um, not a crappy school by any means. I mean, the name does carry in New Jersey and, I mean, getting a bachelor's degree should carry in itself, but nowadays it doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, so just celebrating the fact that you got a job, um, and most, and even if it is, you know, McDonald's or Subway or something like that. I mean, 
if you need money, no job should be beneath you. Mm-hmm. And I learned that real quick when I was offered that position at, at the warehouse. Um, cause I worked in fast food before mm-hmm. and I just didn't want to work in fast food again. I wanted to do something different. Um, so working at the warehouse completely changed the way I looked at the workforce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like, um, the other really valuable thing you learned in that year was, uh, how, now I know how I can sell my skills as an English major to different Absolutely. jobs. And so, uh, so can you talk a li- talk a little bit about that? Because I know that's probably a thing that a lot of people with liberal arts degrees or, um, you know, those types of degrees are like kind of questioning. Um, maybe either nearing graduation, they're like, oh, I'm not totally sure. So grad school, because there's nothing, you know, in the industry. So. Absolutely. So, um, if I could do things differently, um, I would really look at what English majors are great at. And, it, and it's not just English majors. Um, I speak about English majors directly because I was one. Um, but all the humanities um, share a lot of these qualities. But, I mean, first and foremost, English majors are good at analyzing things. I mean, we have to pick up a novel. We have to pick up philosophy. And we have to analyze it. We have to apply it to things. Um, creative thinking, constructive criticism, um, all these different things are, is really important. So, I mean, we, we're creative problem solvers. In addition to that, we're self starters. You know, every English major procrastinates. You know, even if you're writing something the night before it's due, um, you still have to take the initiative and find your own research. Um, construct, uh, construct the paper the way that you want it to be. Um, engage with the assignment in different ways. So you, you definitely have to be a self-starter. Um, again, a lot of us procrastinate, but time management. You know, if you have to read um, five novels in a week, how are you going to do that? That problem works so well in the workplace. If you have five projects to do in a week, you have to prioritize. You have to organize yourself. You have to manage your time properly um, to, to, get, to work through all those objectives. Um, so when you start presenting your degree in that way, instead of saying, I read books, because that doesn't help anybody. But if you start talking about the qualities that you need to have to be a successful English major, to get an A, to, to work through um, a semester where you're taking five literature classes or writing intensive classes, um, I think that is where we really shine. Mm-hmm. Um, we have great writing skills. I mean... Most of business is conducted through communication. Um, even if you're an introvert, like a lot of academics, um, at least through your memos, through the standard operating procedures that you're writing, um, through the marketing campaigns that you're helping with, uh, through the email correspondence, you're communicating. And constructing a good argument on paper is how we communicate as, a, as an English major. Um, so that's something that really works, uh, to the advantage. Um, also we know word processors really well. Um, many of us know how to deliver a good presentation. Um, we also know how to, uh, type. I I mean, most English majors can type pretty fast. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're trying to be, um, a technical writer, if you're trying to be a coder, um, a secretary, something like that. A lot of times they ask you to take a typing test. Mm-hmm. English majors do really well in typing tests. Mm-hmm. So being able to take all those different qualities and pitch it. And I mean, you could write those things, um, on your resume, um, under skills. But if you have to write a cover letter, that is your time to shine as an English major. Um, and once I figured all this stuff out, and this is after I got the, the quality control position. When I was applying to other jobs to see kind of what was out there, I was being offered interviews left and right. Mm-hmm. Once I realized that that's what I can do, um, I became very comfortable in my position, especially because I wanted to go back to grad school. Um, so I didn't take any of those jobs. Um, but once I realized how to conduct myself professionally and talk about my degree in a way that made sense, to people that were doing hiring, um, it, I, I, I started becoming more and more successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's uh, think outside of the box in terms of mm-hmm. how they're related to, to your um, employers. Right. You right. have to step in their shoes. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if you have a degree in algebra, 
in physics, that stands for itself. We, we know what that degree is. Mm-hmm. We don't know what an English degree is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't be a literature-er. You can't be an English-er. Like, there's no position that directly translates. Mm-hmm. So part of our job as analyzing literature, we need to analyze our degree in the same exact way and present it to other people that are not familiar with our position mm-hmm. um, to, to sell them on why why we would be good at, at their place. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to meet them where they are instead of expecting our degree to do all the talking for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, experience-wise, you were pretty much the same guy, right, when you started reapplying. Like, I guess you got mm-hmm. that year in the warehouse, but um, it's just that you totally changed how you were presenting yourself. So, right. really, that can make all the difference in the world. Absolutely. Um, and so... Um, I, I want to, I, I remember one, like, uh, so we, we worked in, in the Home Depot a little bit together. Yes, we did. Um, so for people out there, it's not that Chris went to the warehouse and then back to the, went down to the Home Depot. He, he was, he, you were doing that before, uh, before you started grad school, I During. Think. During grad school, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, oh yeah, this was the summertime, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and so I remember having like a conversation with you. And you were kind of giving me, uh, like a, the condensed version of what you just, what you basically <laughs> just said. And, um, I think one great thing you said or, that you talked about was applying even for those jobs that when you look at the qualifications, look at the stuff that it's asking for and you're like, Oh my God, I don't know how to do any of this to just right. do it anyway. Yeah. And then, uh, and then figure it out when you, you get the job. Right. Um, convince them that you can do it and then figure it out while you're there because that that is something that's huge for me mm-hmm. where I look at that and I get a ton of anxiety I'm like oh my god um, I don't even want to like condom into or you know quote unquote condom and get the job because when I get it I'm gonna just totally fail miserably mm-hmm. so um, can you just talk a little bit about because I'm sure that that must have been something you've you figured a little bit about yeah so, um, so I was in a unique position where I was given the job mm-hmm. without applying for it, mm-hmm. uh, the quality control position. And when I had assigned the paperwork for my job duties, I had a mild pa- panic attack. I didn't know, first of all, I didn't know the terminology that was there. Um, it's not like they gave it to me and said, okay, think about it and bring it back tomorrow. I had to sign it on the spot. So I was forced into a position that I, I knew nothing about. Um, and... I, I quickly learned that if you are even a half-decent college student, you can learn on the fly. You can figure things out. Um, and I quickly learned that I didn't know anything about Excel. I didn't know anything about Outlook. I thought it was just sending emails. I didn't know that the program was a little bit more intricate than that. Um, I did not know how to create a memo. I didn't know how to make forms, uh, standard operating procedures. I didn't know any of that stuff. Um, I didn't know formulas to do sampling. All that stuff was so foreign to me. Um, the reason why I got that job is because I proved to them that if they gave me something, I can learn it and I will keep learning and keep trying to uh, push myself to learn even further until I, not, not so much that I became a master of it, mm-hmm. but where I can function and have conversations about it and teach other people to do it. So um, the way that translates onto applying for things, um, again, it goes back to the cover letter. Even if they don't ask for a cover letter, you should. You should absolutely provide one and persuade them why you can do that job, even if you don't have the qualifications. Um, And a lot of that comes to, I can learn what you want me to do. Um, Sometimes if you get the interview... Um, you're going to have to do a lot of that explaining in the interview. And it's a lot of, look, part of being an English major, I have to do research. I don't know anything about psychology. I don't know about, um, uh, you know, di- different types of philosophy, but I can research it and I can figure it out. Um, so being able to talk about your research in that way um, really helps uh, with them understanding where you're coming from. But, I mean, most things that you're doing, unless they're asking you to perform surgery, um, you can learn it. You can absolutely learn it. It's going to take time, 
And it might be really frustrating and you might have to bring your work home with you to learn it. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I, I always say that if a job sounds even somewhat interesting to you, you should apply to it with the assumption that you can learn those job duties, mm-hmm. um, whether it's a piece of software or um, a procedure of some kind. You can learn it. You can absolutely learn it. Um, the second you admit defeat and say, oh, well, I can't do that, you're not going to get that job and you're not going to be able to learn it. You have to be determined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually something that um, when I took your advice, actually worked out like great for me. Um, because yeah, I, I, that summer I applied for all these positions, like working with students, like living in the dorms with these high school students. I've never done it before. And like, it was like terrifying for me. And yeah, I think I, I learned, um, I got to experience your advice firsthand because like, oh yeah, um, um, as long as you're determined and it's something that you want to do, you can figure it out. Right. And, and also don't be afraid of failing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if, if you end up getting that position, and you're way over your head, no matter how hard you're trying, you, you just, you just can't get it. That's fine. You know, if, um, have a real conversation with your supervisor and be like, look, either I need more help. Um, I need this to be explained to me. Maybe you need to be sent out for training. Um, if a company will offer that. Um, but if you just have to admit defeat and apply for a new job, mm-hmm. um, then so be it. I mean, you, you were given the opportunity to try it. Um, and I'm, not, and I'm not saying that no matter what you try at, you're going to succeed. If you really are determined to succeed, sometimes you just can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially sometimes you can't succeed within the timeline that they're giving you mm-hmm. um, if you don't have the experience. So, but try things. I mean, you're not going to know if you like it or if you're good at it unless you try. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in your, in your position, um, you were really nervous and you weren't really sure what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We saw each other on the day that we interviewed for that position. <laughs> yeah. And um, I mean, you did an amazing job and yeah, you really you. figured it out and you, you did, you really did great, even though you had no idea what to expect. Um, but you were able to apply a lot of the things that you knew previously. Um, and if you didn't know it, you learned pretty quick. Um, so I, I mean, I think you stand as a testament to, to that advice that, you can absolutely apply for something that you don't have experience in. Yeah, thank you. That means a lot to me. Um, and yeah, and I, I, I definitely don't think that there's anything special about us that like, like we're not like just these two like unique people who happen <laughs> right. to be like podcasting. It's really anybody listening to this can, can do it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Like I said, even if you're, you know, e- even if you, give it a a little bit in college and get through and graduate, you can put your mind to it. Um, It's all a matter of whether you care to. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there's just uh, uh, one other really interesting thing I wanted to uh, hit on, which is, so you go to, you end up coming to Eastern for your master's degree. And I remember uh, uh, you talking with somebody else about like what your prospects were going to be. So now you're going, um, for those listening, you're going to pursue your PhD at Clemson University. So congratulations mm-hmm. on that again. Thank you. Um, but, um, when t- I remember you hearing you talking about your prospects afterwards. Um, and you basically summed it up as like, you would be okay, um, teaching, but you'd also be okay going into industry, right. which, um, I think you basically said that a lot of people kind of weren't. Or like they just kind of get forced and they just maybe get their hand gets forced. Mm-hmm. And so, um, can you talk a little bit about, um, a lot of times, like when we get to certain degrees and we expect, uh, to have a certain career, there is a need to be flexible with, um, a different option if it doesn't pan out the way you expect it. Absolutely. And this is something that is extremely important to, uh, those in the humanities that are going on for advanced degrees. Um, just like I learned firsthand with my bachelor's degree, mm-hmm. nothing is given to you. Nothing is set up. Um, like I said, it's not the movies. Um, it's not like, um, you know, once you have that piece of paper in your hand that says that you have a degree, that there's going to be hundreds of people standing in front of you with briefcases saying, we want you. Um, that's just not how it is. And if you want to go into academia, um, that it's even worse. Um, so 
I, I did, I decided when I started my master's that I wanted to be a professor. Um, first and foremost, I wanted to be a professor and I had this unrealistic expectation that I was going to get my master's and then there would be jobs that I could apply for and then I could pick whatever institution I wanted to teach at and I would be making a decent salary and teaching students. Um, I think Eastern Michigan University's English department has amazing advisors and faculty and I went to a PhD info session my first semester there and quickly learned that very few students that graduate with their master's or even PhD get jobs in academia, especially the jobs that they want in academia. Um, so there's all different levels um, in the hierarchy of, of um, academia. So you can be a part-time lecturer, which doesn't give you benefits. Um, you don't get paid very well. There's a lot of those positions available because it's cheap labor. Um, you can get one of those, but that's not even guaranteed. Um, so I decided real quick that I wanted to be a professor. But if I could not get that, I really would not mind working in an office space again. Um, I really enjoyed the creative problem solving and um, everything that came with office work. Um but I, I mean, I rather teach, but yeah, I know that's, that it's not a hundred percent guarantee. I mean, one of the reasons why I chose Clemson is because they have a hundred percent placement of their graduates, but it's not a hundred percent placement in academia. Mm-hmm. It's a hundred percent placement on the job market, which means that you could be working in industry or you could be in academia, but they guarantee, they, they don't guarantee, but their statistics show that you will get a job after school, which is important. I mean, that's, kind of why we go to school, right? To, mm-hmm. to get a job. Um, so I decided that um, even though there might be 1,500 people applying for 100 jobs that mm-hmm. year in that field, um, if you don't get one of those positions, you, you, you need to move on and you need to come up with plan B. Um, for me, plan B will be industry. Um, and it all depends on what I end up focusing on for my PhD. Um, if I can continue on the track of gaming studies, um, I think I would like to work for a gaming company, um, a marketing company, um, something along those lines. Um, if I end up in, um, doing more with pedagogy and, um, uh, rhetoric and information design, I think I would try to apply for a technical writer, um, in an office setting. Um, but I also really like project management. So that's also an option. Um, but I know that um, I would not be upset um, at getting any of those positions. Um, and I know that if I get one of those positions and in a year I want something different, I'll apply for something else. Uh, just because I get a job does not mean that I have to stay there the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am very flexible and um, know that the prospects of getting a job in ac- academia are so grim. Mm-hmm. So, um, knowing that, um, is, is a reality check. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that a lot of students don't understand that. Um, they believe that once they get the degree, they are going to get the job that they, you know, are going for, mm-hmm. um, the job that they, their dream job, but that's not always, um, feasible. Um, especially nowadays, the way that everything is changing over to STEM, so everything is math and science based. Um, not everything, but a lot. Uh, so humanities uh, graduates really need to be flexible. Um, and if we know anything from going to, you know, from class to class, you know, different genres that we're studying, or if it's a history class or a literature class or, you know, anthropology, I mean, we have to be flexible in our studies. So we should be flexible also on the job market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely definitely something that um, I see all the time is how um, it, it definitely it, people do have this idea that uh, the job that they get right after college or right after their degree, like it's just a straight ticket um, right. to what they what they're going to be doing for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I think uh, it, it is kind of, it is kind of like a privilege that we even have the chance to uh, have options. Right. Right. Um, and be right. able to t- take different paths in life when 
you know, just maybe 50, 60 years ago, that wasn't possible at all. I mean, that's absolutely true. Education is a privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it should be a right, you know, but it, it's not. I mean, there's many, many people in the United States, especially that don't get an education. Um, and we always um, say, you know, they didn't get a good education. But I mean, that's subjective. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's just because somebody came from a city doesn't mean that they had a bad education. Um, but it's what they do with it that really defines their education. And mm-hmm. it is absolutely a privilege, even though um, the associates and bachelor degree are the new high school diploma. Um, not everybody can go to college. So education is a privilege and education opens up opportunity. Um, sometimes you have to really, you know, go searching for that opportunity. It's not going to present itself, um, upon graduation, but it's out there. Those op- opportunities are out there. We just need to find them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we'll just one last thing, uh, before we, we close it out. I, uh, in the last podcast, I spoke, spoke with my, uh, guest about, uh, we, we talked about capitalism and, and the values that it kind of just spawns, uh, just by virtue of existing in a country. So I don't, I don't like to just only talk about, uh, jobs and everything, even though, of course, it is really important. Um, I would like to ask you just, um, what do you feel like outside of career, um, money, all that stuff that you gain from, uh, the education and, and English and your master's degree in the humanities, what that gave to you as a person? That's a really good question. Um, this is actually something that, I was contemplating about a month ago. Um, my the way that I conduct myself, the way that I um, approach different problems, the way that I um, think about different things. I, I mean, my perspective on the world has greatly changed through education. Um, a lot of it has to do with my liberal arts degree. I mean, mm-hmm. going all the way back to my community college, I learned so much through that because I took so many different types of classes. So it really changed the way that I looked at the world. Um, but I mean, thinking back to when I was 21 and, you know, seeing all these different news headlines and I had certain opinions and I have greatly different opinions now, um, than what I did then. But I mean, education doesn't stop at the classroom. Um, I think we are given the tools, um, to conduct ourselves and think differently. Um, but if you don't use those tools in your everyday life, um, you, you, I mean, it's a waste. I, I mean, a college degree does not mean job. Um, it, it means it's education. I mean, it, it changes the way that we think, the way that we act. Um, or I, that's kind of the goal. We mm-hmm. hope that it does. It doesn't always. That um, does a college degree mean you're educated? No, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what you do with that education um, with that degree. Um, and I'm not just talking about your job, um, Mm -hmm. but that shows that you're educated. Um, I mean, you should change the way that you think through education. Um, if you don't, you didn't learn anything. Um, especially in the humanities. I mean, if, if you leave college, um, changing the way that you think on something that you really firmly held dear to yourself, um, I think that's a success. Um, whether you're reinforcing that idea and, you, you know, your belief is even stronger than what it was um, or it's something totally radically different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that shows education. Um, of course, we, we want to get the job and, and we want to learn sk- specific skills. Um, but in the humanities, we can't really point to those skills as well as, you know, a mathematician, you know, learning higher math and, and learning these formulas and everything else. Humanities, is, it, it's really not like that at all. Um, so the sign of education is, um, is your perspective and the way that you see things. Um, and I think that really means um, thinking about people that are not you. Mm-hmm. You know, like being a straight white male coming from a middle class family. I, I mean, I had an extremely different perspective and a false perspective on life. And the more I started learning and education really changed that and showed, like, I mean, the privilege that I had. 
um, that others did not. Um, and still, I mean, still, I, I mean, the fact that I'm going out for my PhD shows that I have privilege. Um, and I, and education is what showed me that not, no professor told me, well, you're privileged because, um, I mean, they have, but I, I realized that, you know, after yeah. uh, or before. Um, but I think the, the sign of education is absolutely not the diploma. Like mm-hmm. you point out, it's anybody can print off a piece of paper with a seal on it and sign it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go through the motions and you're just a really good test taker and pass everything, you can get a diploma. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that you learned anything. Mm-hmm. Not at all. And so uh, how were you able to challenge yourselves, yourself to, I guess, see or uh, learn about people who are not like you, because, mm-hmm. um, like you just said, because I think um, it's really easy for us to make the mistake of thinking that we're doing that, but not actually doing that. Like, it's so um, uh, incredible to me that, like, you know, on the internet and everything, even though we have access to everything, somehow we seem to kind of just filter off into those that space on the internet where everyone just thinks kind of like you like the the people on your twitter follower that you follow on twitter and on facebook are kind of your people who think like you and the websites you go to so Mm -hmm. i think in it it becomes easy to think that we're challenging ourselves even when we're not so how, how are you able to do that uh again really good question um so I think there's two pointable moments in my education that really helped me with that. One was I took an ethics class and we started learning things about, um, um, about gay rights and hearing other people in the class kind of laugh at it or, you know, um, have these very strong opinions against gay rights. Um, and I was sitting there and I'm like, well, why? why like why why shouldn't they have rights i don't i don't don't understand that they're human Mm -hmm. um so that was a big moment for me that class um i found myself researching and reading articles from different points of view on the same subject um and that greatly changed the way that i looked at media um especially um news outlets um because they all have a specific agenda um and then the other point would actually be um i took an arbitration class when i kind of thought that i wanted to be a lawyer And um, it was all about seeing perspective. You know, you have to see the perspective of both sides to come to a mediated um, uh, outcome. And that really helped me engage in discussion. And the discussions weren't simply, um, do you agree? Yes or no. Um, They were very complicated. And they're grounded in all these different belief systems. You know, whether it's your cultural upbringing, your religious upbringing, um, you know, so I started seeing all these different perspectives and I really started challenging what I believed in um, based on that. Um, but I, I think really what it comes down to is um, technology is great. I, I love technology. However, all these algorithms and everything that are now created, um, they when we search something or if we log on to Facebook, based on our previous search histories or what we liked or disliked, now they're shaping what we see. So if you don't push against that, you exactly as you said, I mean, you're going to see the same thing over and over again or similar um, minded people, you know, people saying this very similar things to what you already believe in. Um, but I think it's very important to um, if you're somebody that gets a lot of their information from Facebook to like groups that are on two different sides, um, because then you're going to see what's published from both points of view. And usually those are pretty extreme points. So you're going to see the extremes and then you can make a decision for yourself. Um, I think if you only go to CNN for your news, um, that's problematic. Um, if you look at multiple sites, that's when you're going to start looking at things differently. Um, but I, I really I really believe that that's, um, we need to challenge ourselves. And I, I feel like as an English major, I learned that pretty quickly. Um, when you do research for a paper, you're not going to find somebody that agrees with everything that you said. Mm-hmm. So you read both points of view and you construct your own argument based off of those differing views. So I, I think that um, we really need to push back against 
what technology wants us to do. Um, and we need to have more of a full view, a full spectrum of an issue. Um, right now, gun violence is, is the main thing in the media. Um, and there's very differing views. I think if you want to have an educated point of view on what, you know, and engage in that conversation, you need to read both sides. Um, and even the neutral positions. Um, and not just one article from each and say, I know what their points of view are, so now I'm going to make a decision. I mean, you need to continuously read. Um, and that is something that I think a lot of people after college don't do. You know, they don't want to read anymore because, well, now they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they become complacent with their point of view and their position, and they don't change. Um, so I think using what you learn in the classroom, interacting with people that disagree with you, engaging in intelligent conversations and debates is really important. Um, instead of just having a circle of friends that agrees on everything, um, that's when the problems come out. Um, we definitely need to surround ourselves with people that don't think like us. Um, and then eventually you can agree to disagree on things, but at least you know where you stand on an issue.